Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. And unless I miss my guess, this is the 343rd episode of this. 343 nights, Monday nights, everybody. Are you just trying to make me feel old? No, no, it's just, uh, you're an old hand. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I, Jeff, you're an old hand. John's an old hand. I mean, you know, uh, you guys have been here, and uh, I appreciate it. Everybody appreciates the the help and uh, assistance that uh, they get from everybody. But uh, I do need to do a disclaimer and tell everybody that this is Dallas Debt Discussion. It is Monday night. It is the last date. It's the 30th of November of 2015. It's hard to believe we only got uh, the month of December. And then uh, we just rewind the clock and start it all over again and do it for another year. And this year seems like it's been about three months to me, but um, that's just the way it is. But uh, as I said, this is Dallas Death Discussion. What you hear on this call for the most part, is discussion of debt issues, uh, how to deal with certain things, uh, dealing with the consumer protection statutes, not necessarily always with debt actually, but a lot of the uh, stuff stems from debt because people getting telephone calls that may be subject to uh, TCPA violations or maybe somebody's put uh, things in your credit report that they shouldn't uh, put in there or they've uh, obtained your credit report uh, without a permissible purpose. There's all sorts of things that relate to debt that create problems for people. And a lot of times they do that because their rights are violated, but people don't know that and they certainly don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to use the courts to stand up for the rights, and that's what we do is we discuss the use of the courts, the proper use of the courts, not the administrative procedures, not the stuff that, oh, well, you know, this says this. No. Learn how to use the system that's there. It will work for you in most cases uh, if you will use it properly. But uh, the bottom line is you're not going to get any legal advice here. If somebody is looking for legal advice concerning a situation they may find themselves in, please go find yourself a bar-licensed attorney and ask your questions there. Maybe you get a free consultation, but generally for them to do anything for you, you are going to pay for it because they know what legal advice is. We don't. And uh, when we talk about different situations when people are talking about maybe a, a situation they have, and we say, uh, and when I say we, I'm talking about anybody on this call, not just the moderators, myself, Jeff, John, Terry, um, but anybody that says anything uh, about, you know, well, you want to do this or you want to do that, the way, the context in, in which that's being uh, given is, is if I were in a similar situation to yours or in your shoes, that's what I would do. We're not giving advice. 
we're giving opinions. We are giving uh, the giving you the benefit of, and as far as the moderators go, our experience in litigating in federal court. All of us do litigate in federal court, some of us more than others. And uh, we have a fairly substantial amount of experience in doing so. That doesn't mean that we're experts. It doesn't mean we could uh, qualify as attorneys, lawyers, or anything. Uh, we could not. And we don't have any interest in doing so. So the bottom line is... We're trying to help people. This is about education. It's about you learning how to stand up for your rights. First of all, what your rights are. Second of all, how to stand up for them and how to make it very possibly make a decision on if you need to retain an attorney to help you with a situation. And if you do find yourself in a situation where you uh, hire an attorney, that you know how to look over their shoulder and understand not only what they're doing, well, hopefully understand what they're doing, but know what they're supposed to be doing in large part so that if they're not doing it, you can call them on the carpet and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing here. So the bottom line is no legal advice. We discuss dead issues. After we get done with good news, we'll go to the queue to put your hand in the queue or your hand up in the queue to uh, ask a question or uh, make a comment about uh, our discussions. Uh, all you have to do is hit star 8 on the keypad on your phone. It's very simple. I ask everybody to mute themselves. You are not muted when you come on this call. That's by design. I can change that. I've never had to. Well, I've had to mute the call entirely a few times, but very few actually in six and a half years. And uh, to mute yourself, all you have to do is hit star six. And then to unmute yourself, if you need to do that for some reason, uh, like for good news, all you have to do is hit star six again. But if you listen when you mute or unmute yourself, it'll say you are muted or you are unmuted. It's simply a toggling feature. It's very easy to use. The other thing I want to say up front before we get to good news is, especially for any new people, we are trying to encourage the new people, because we have new people coming all the time. There's always new people coming to the calls. When you are on these calls and when you're new and you're just starting to learn, we know that this can be overwhelming. It can be like, oh, my God, these guys are talking about all this and that and so on and so forth. I don't know anything about that. I, there's no way I could learn that. Well, that was kind of my thought in the beginning. When I started looking at this, I thought, this is crazy. There's no way I could learn all, all this kind of stuff about the federal court and all this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? I was wrong because I have. And if I can, most people can. I'm not going to say everybody, but most people can. And it's, it's always the question that I ask from time to time. It all boils down to one thing. How bad do you want it? If you want to help yourself, if you want to learn what your rights are and help yourself stand up for those rights when they have been trampled on, then you'll do it. You'll put in the work and the time and the effort to do it, just like I have and many, many other people have. And if you don't do that, well, that's kind of a sign of you probably don't want it very bad. Maybe you just want to grouse and bitch and complain about things happening to you, but 
you just really don't want to put in any effort to uh, put a stop to it and maybe uh, make the other guys pay you and put some money in your pocket for the violations of your rights. And that's what we, one of the things that we focus on is going after these people and making them pay us. It's not just about stopping people from violating your rights. It is about making these people pay because the law says they have to pay if they violate your rights. We're not saying it. The law says it. And that's one of the things that gets to them. We cost them enough money collectively, and it starts changing their behavior. They start being a whole lot more careful about what they're doing. And if they don't want to do that, then they're going to pay the tab. You know, that's that's just the way it is. So the bottom line is we're here to help you. The only thing we ask in return for all of the uh, time and effort that we put in to help you learn and answer questions and everything is that when you have the opportunity, you pay it forward. When you have the opportunity to help someone else with the information that you have learned, that you step forward and you do that. We have some people that do it in a huge way. We have some people that do it in uh, smaller ways, but yet... That's the music to our ears when we have somebody come on and say, well, you know, I, I found somebody that had a problem with something and I, I went ahead and helped them do this, showed them how to do this or that, and pointed them in the direction, and uh, they got things taken care of. That's what we love to hear. That's the music to our ears. So uh, please do so when you have the opportunity. Now, we always start with good news reason we do that is yeah, everybody hears enough about all the crap that's going on out here. And uh, all you got to do is turn on mainstream media and you'll hear about all the crap. But we don't listen to the mainstream media in large part, at least I don't. And many of the people that I associate with do not as well because they know it's all hogwash. So uh, we start with good news to hear about things that have happened, and good news can be anything from uh, something good happening in a case that you've got, getting something dismissed, uh, winning in court, uh, arranging a settlement for violations of your rights, getting a settlement check. It can run the gamut of many things. You do not have to raise your hand, hitting star eight, to bring us good news, and good news, of course, is always welcome. We always want to hear that, but we try and uh, do that first. So if anybody has any good news, all you have to do is speak up and tell us about your good news. I have good news. Well, let's hear it. Um, as you know, my foreclosure trial is scheduled for December 17th. My deadline for exhibits and discovery uh to submit the, the exhibits for trial was today. Um, I submitted all of my exhibits. I did not get any exhibits from opposing counsel. So, guess they can't really bring anything into into a trial. And the other one is, um, I know you guys always talk about you know, reading the mortgage and going back into into really reading what the mortgage says. And over the weekend, I decided to go ahead and, and do that and read the mortgage. And as I was reading it, um, one of the things that popped out was that it has the telephone number for MERS. So I decided to call MERS and find out, you know, see what, what they have to say and stuff. So they will prompt you to go ahead and put your MIN number 
And once you put your MIN number, they tell you the status of your loan, of all the registration. Well, it turns out that they said that the loan, my loan had been transferred out uh, from the registration from MERS on February 26, 2012. Well, MERS signed an assignment on April 16, 2012 which means the assignment is null and void because they're not registered with MERS. <laughs> I was like, really? I, I just couldn't believe it. But the, 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 the best part about it is, is that uh, I found it within time. So what I did is I recorded, I, I called them again, I recorded the call, and I provided that call, a recording call, in part of my exhibit for me to use a trial. So I, I think uh, definitely they'll have a hard time um, trying to, um, you know, trying to explain. Exactly. So that's my good news. Um, I, I'm, I'm not counting my my chickens before they hatch, but I'm certainly salivating and looking forward to see how all of this is going to pan out. Um, again, I'm dealing with a crooked judge. But I'm hoping that I'm, I am hoping that she will follow the rules and uh, definitely would not allow them to present anything because they failed to provide the the exhibit as for uh, pursuant to her court order. So let's see what happens. Well, that that is good news. So we'll have to see how things go. And yeah. one thing I want to point out to people is what Maria did. Uh, I wish she had done it sooner, and I'm sure she wishes she had done it sooner, but she went and read her mortgage. She started reading it, and she started finding things that she didn't know she had, and here she is right up before trial. Don't wait before trial, like Maria did. I mean, it's better late than never, but uh, that's not really the way you want to pursue things. So um, work on this stuff ahead of time. Read, 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 read. And it's like Jeff has said, and we've talked about it a bunch on the calls. Jeff has suggested that you take your mortgage and write it. You actually take and write the whole document. Because if you do, you are going to read things and find things and understand things that you never knew before. And it's going to spur you to look into things that you never would have looked into before simply because you did read it, you did write it. Because when you write it, it's much more cognizant. There's much more of it that goes into your head because you're having to pay far more attention than the skim reading that most of us have gotten in the habit of doing. We, we have not been taught how to read for content. It's just a fact. So anyway, thank you, Maria. That's great. Okay, who else has got some good news for us tonight? All you got to do is speak up. Oh, man. Well. I mean, it's just before the holidays. Dave. I was you know, just going to say, yeah. I, I know there's a lot of people that have been off doing things uh, on yeah. holidays and stuff. I... Uh, 
had some email correspondence with somebody today. Somebody had filed a uh, FDCPA and FCRA claim against a company and uh, in federal court, and they came back. <laughs> this is really interesting. They came back and filed a counterclaim under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 97. Whoa. And just for everybody's benefit, to save you the time of going and Googling it, there is no Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 97. Yeah. But it turns out... Okay, somebody needs to mute their phone. We're hearing your conversation there. Uh, it seems that that situation was that under the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure 97, you can file a counterclaim on certain things. Well, you don't bring Texas Rules of Civil Procedure into a federal court when there is no state claim. And it was... Uh, you talk about a stupid lawyer moment. Yeah. And, of course, somebody that's, uh, that's helping in, in that deal there uh, went out and did a little research and found a couple of uh, cases. And, of course, this was in Texas here, um, just so happens. And I already found a couple of cases uh, in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals where they absolutely said that uh, you can't do that. So uh, there'll be a motion to dismiss on that. But, you know, here's an incompetent lawyer that doesn't even get the statute right when he's doing the uh, counterclaim in federal court. So, you know, it just tells you a little something about what's going on. I got a couple down in the South that have filed in their first federal case, and they haven't stepped up with the good news that they have filed their first federal case. You guys want to do that? Maybe, the, maybe they're not on the board. Oh, they're on the board. They're just... Yeah, I filed my federal case um, Thursday. Good. Congratulations. Okay, did you, did you send service out Thursday also? It wasn't Thursday. It was Tuesday. And I sent my service out Tuesday. And according to the post office, they should start getting it today. Today, Monday, or today, uh, Tuesday? Uh, Monday. Okay, so they should be served today. Yes. Okay, great. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall when they start reading that? Oh, yes. Considering it's going to two lawyers and the firm that's all in one firm. Right. And it's, it's a combination of FDCPA and TCPA. Yes. The TCPA is against the creditor. Right. And the FDCPA is against the two lawyers in the law firm. Right. Good. <clears throat> well, keep after them. Don't let up. Well, my question is... Oh, it's not question time. No, no, no. Questions don't come now. You have to wait till good yeah. news is over. Yeah, we're doing good news right now. We'll get to... You raise your hand with star eight when I uh, tell everybody to go ahead and hit that for questions. Okay. Well, thank you for the good news, sir. That's good. You, you've taken your first big step. Now it's time to keep learning and uh, working to push it forward. Either that or negotiate a settlement with them if 
they don't want to go forward, that's up to them, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll negotiate. Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, you want to go, if you're through, you want to press uh, star six to meet up before you press star eight. Okay, all right, thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, who else has got some good news for us? Yeah, see, I we've have got one more. I have Go. one more thing. Go ahead. Okay. Um, last week, uh, I was talking to Jesse and stuff, and kind of strategized with regards to my trial. Well, I got Cynthia Riley, uh, which is the the lady who endorsed my notes, served for deposition and trial subpoena on Friday. So. Oh, good. Awesome. Yeah, so she's been subpoenaed for trial, and she's been subpoenaed for a deposition that uh, I have scheduled for next Monday. So let's see how that pans out. And, and um, it's funny because the lady who served her says, oh, yeah, yeah, I've served her plenty of times. I know who she is. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, let's see. Uh, the husband does say, you go, no, I give, she gives it to the attorneys and they handle it, so let's see what happens. Well, hopefully I, I, they won't give me no hassle and they'll let her appear, but um, I just, uh, I was really excited about that, get, getting that done in such, you know, in, in a short time, so. Well, good. That's it. Very okay. Good. Thank you. Yep, hey, that that works. See, we got uh, we got people that are doing stuff right in through the holidays here. Of course, Maria's, and you know, she's coming up on trial. She has no choice. She's got to be doing that. But we other we got other people stepping up, and uh, away we go. All right, who else got some good news? Okay, well, uh, the only news I have is, oh, Midland got served with four more lawsuits today. I got an email from the process server. So I got served with some last week, and uh, I uh, got a bunch of paperwork from the MDL. And they've moved more cases out to the MDL, and this is on my Midland stuff for anybody new that uh, is not quite familiar with what I might be talking about. I now have 74 lawsuits in federal court against the same company. And 65 of those have been moved to the MDL, and the rest are in progress. I've actually filed 93 lawsuits against them. There is uh, more to be served, and I'm waiting for a call from the uh, small claims court uh, as to when eight more citations are ready, and then I will go up and I will file eight more. I've only got 20 left to file, so... Anyway, that's moving forward. The other uh, good news I have on that respect is I fly out of Dallas on Thursday afternoon to Chicago, and I will be deposed another with another one of our members, uh, my co-plaintiff in a class action lawsuit over TCPA. Both of us are being deposed Friday, and uh, it should be a very interesting experience. We'll fly out. Both of us are from the area here. We'll fly back in Friday night, so uh, it's just a quick trip up, do our depositions, and uh, turn around and come back. And thankfully, uh, there'll be no winter weather up there. Uh, weather on both ends is supposed to be good for the trip, so that'll be uh, very interesting. It's going to be a very interesting experience uh, because I have another deposition that will be coming up in December. I filed another lawsuit, and they are 
wanting to uh, depose me sometime in December. So um, I'm going to get my fill of uh, depositions in the month of December 2015. And I've never been deposed before, so this ought to be very, very, very interesting. So, all right, one last time. If anybody has any good news, let's hear it. Otherwise, we're going to go to Q&A and start answering some questions for people. All right, if you have any questions for us tonight, please hit star 8. That will put you in the queue. We're here to answer your questions and uh, hopefully help you out, and we will go from there. Let's go. i got to mute you and unmute you in southeast Florida. And, Maria, that's you. Did you have a question for us? Yeah, I do. And my question basically is, is more sort of like procedure. Now, my they, have, they did not provide me with the exhibits, but they did produce a lot of the exhibits through production the request for productions and, and the interrogatories and everything else that I've requested. Having said that, they can't come back and say, well, we provided that information through the request for production, therefore they can go ahead and use it. Am I correct to say that? You know, to tell you the truth, Maria, I don't know. John, do you specifically know on that? Can you say it again, please? Basically, my concern or what I want to make sure that, that I am clear about is that when I go to trial and I object to them uh, entering into evidence any of the documents that they have propounded to me or that they have provided me through discovery, that I can do so. Because the trial order states that they are supposed to give me um, all the trial exhibits that are going to be presented to tri at trial prior uh, by the 20th day uh, before trial. So since Friday, Saturday, Friday was a holiday, today basically is the deadline. So I just want to make sure that they're not going to come back and say, oh, no, well, we did give them to her, so yes, we do have the right to go ahead and present it. And then the judge said, oh, yeah, yeah, they're right, go ahead and present it because that she's going to side with them. So I need to make sure that I'm clear and that um, what I'm saying is true and correct. Well, remember, John, this is in state court. Yeah, there, no, so. no, no, no. I know, I know, I know. Okay. So, so the the thing is, they're just hoping that they're on the railroad and they're driving it right home. But you can object. More than likely, what will happen is that if you force the issue, they'll delay the trial, give them the ability to give you the records, and then reset the trial date. But see, that's, that's, I have a motion for a continuance. And the, um, the judicial assistant pretty much told me today that it was not going to be heard because it was not filed timely. But that, that's, okay. a con that's you requesting a continuance. That's not the same thing as them failing to comply with an order or rules. Okay. See, if you don't get your if you don't get your documents the way you're supposed to and they ambush you, that's denial of due process because you need to have advance notice to look at the documents to see what they are so that you can pre prepare yourself how to deal with them. Now, one question, Maria. 
does the rule say that they have to serve them to you no later than 20 days before trial? It's the it's not the rule. It's the trial order from okay. the judge. The, okay. The order says they they must serve them. Okay. The, the Generally, says, well, well, hang on a second. I'm just going to try and make a point here. You know, you're saying this is this is 20 days. Um, I don't know as you're necessarily out of the woods yet because usually service is considered to be the date that they mail things. Now, if they mailed them timely and maybe you get them in the mail tomorrow, then they would have served them on time. I Usually that's the way it's considered. Am I going to say I'm absolutely 100% sure? Uh, and that's for your situation, no, but I think that's the way it would be. Yeah. And if they send them and there's more than, more than you know, just a couple of pages, they're going to send it by some dedicated carrier where they get a trackable receipt that you receive it. Um, and that's where it's going to come into the issue of did they send it on time or not? How many days did it take you to get them? Were you given a sufficient amount of time ahead of time to review the documents? I, I think I, in that aspect, um, going back to the way things have been handled in the past, uh, everything has been done electronically. So, you know, I don't see why they would do it um, snail mail. So, you know, because, I, I, again... Because to deliver it to you properly, they have to give you hard copies of the documents. And actually, if it's something that you're going to contest, you should have seen it ahead of time so that you could, you know, put in a motion to strike or whatever. For, you know, if it's like the note and the mortgage, you need to you needed to have a viewing session so that you could look at it to see it, um, you know, more than just getting a copy of it. Because a copy well, could be a copy of a copy. Well, I did. I did see the original mortgage when I took the deposition of the um, the um, representative, and you mean I did you saw ask. What they purported to be the original mortgage. Well, yeah, it, it purported to be. I made the mistake that I did look at the endorsements very closely, but I didn't look at my signature very closely. So I'm thinking that you know. It could be a a laser color copy. Well, there I mean, there are there are also machines that can duplicate signatures. They can scan it in, and the machine holds a pen and it writes. I've sent Dave that video before. It's quite interesting. Yeah. It's on YouTube, and they use them. You know, like if you if you want to send out Christmas cards that are hand signed or whatever, you provide them a copy of your signature, and the machine actually hand writes each one, and it can do it with a you know felt tip pen or a ballpoint pen or, you know, one of the old-fashioned quill pens, something like that. But so there's a lot of different ways they can fabricate it. But here's the deal. You're in Florida, and you have to look at the rules of evidence. And uh, a mortgage is considered a self-authenticating document. And a note is considered a, a, a note is considered a self-authenticating document. And um, even if you object to the the mortgage that they bring in there because it's recorded in the public record, they'll say, well, the copy in the public record 
is self-authenticating if you haven't disputed what's in the public record already. But the note generally is not in the public record and that you can dispute. And that comes all the way around on that argument that yes, they may have the mortgage, but if it's not the original note, then the, the mortgage is a worthless piece of paper. They need to have the original note for the debt. Without, without, the, without the note, the mortgage is just a secure is a void security. It's an empty security. There, you know, it's it's a security interest with nothing behind it to to give them a reason to to take the property. So when the mortgage when the note comes up, you have to deny it. And this goes back, if you remember, in Jesse's case. Um, he he denied the paperwork, and he read that transcript. You know we covered it in the in the seminars, and you can download it and look at it. And um, he denied it. He denied it. And then his lawyer moved for uh, for what was it, Dave? Judgment on the pleadings, or um, yeah, I think so. What was it called? A directed verdict. Directed verdict, yeah. Yeah. So he moved for, you, you need to listen to that again because it was, it, it, it had little to do with the reality and it had to do with how, how the lawyer played the cards on what was entered into evidence. Okay. I'll, I'm going to do that. I'll go ahead and Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's the best thing I can offer you. And then, um, you know, tomorrow night we've got Terry's session. When is your hearing? Um, for my trial is yeah. December seventeenth. Um, okay. I was hoping to to bring before the judge a motion for continuance as well as a motion to appoint commissioner to take the deposition of the first uh, uh, lady who endorsed the note. But uh, the judicial assistant pretty much told me, no, that it's not going to be heard and that, uh, you know, I asked her that if she would please, you know, reconsider and, and uh, grant me the courtesy just like she granted the courtesy to opposing counsel. And I haven't heard back from her. So most likely it's not going to be heard. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to schedule it for the 10th, which is only seven days away from trial. But at least I'll have it presented before the the court, and uh, you know, and let her take a look at it or not. Right. So, so another, so in other words, you went ahead and submitted, even though the assistant said, "Oh, forget it, don't waste your time." You put your motions in anyways, and you're just going to put it on the morning calendar because you know how they, if it's a if it's a motion that needs less than five minutes, you can just get it on the general calendar in the morning. Yeah, but you okay. have to, but. The rules say that you, you have, have to, to have, give them seven-day notice. Okay, I thought it was just seven days. And then she told me, and I did comply with it because I did give them seven days, but she said it was seven business days. And since we had the two days, the two holidays, um, Thursday yep. and Friday, basically, she says, well, I didn't comply. <sighs> well, you know, it's better to, it's better to find out that you didn't apply then. Hang on, something happened here.
Sorry, something started playing. I called in over my computer. So it's better that you find out and you still have time to get the motion on the calendar to have it heard. Yeah. And, that's and if not, you're just going to come back against her for denial of due process because she's hammered you so hard on everything. And, you know, you'll go into your appeal. So you've got a game plan. My my thing, I was thinking, instead of going for the motion for continuance, now that they haven't provided the exhibit, I was thinking of more uh, along the lines of asking them for a continuance of the discovery period, meaning to allow me to bring in uh, up to the 15th or 16th um, all discovery that has been, you know, uh, done, because tomorrow, uh, Wednesday is the deadline for all discovery. Right. Well, you know, another way to look at things is um, failure to comply with an order is sanctionable. You know, if 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 a pro se didn't do what the judge said, it could be contempt. You know, if you didn't comply, if you didn't comply with the order of the court. And these are professional bar licensed attorneys that specialize in doing what they're doing. They do it all day up. You know, that's that's their job. And they failed to comply with the order of the court. And if the court doesn't enforce their orders, it it shortchanges you. It's a denial of due process on you. So it's sanctionable. I mean, it's it's a sanctionable offense against the other party. Now, you can't um, you can't collect monetary sanctions. Um, you can't collect the money because you're you're not an attorney, and in this case, you don't want them to have to do the other things, which is like pro bono work or pay money into the court coffers or something like that. What you can request is that she grants one of your motions. In other words, their bad makes the court grant one of your motions. So, which is the best motion for the court to grant? And that's that's the sanction you would like. Do you understand? Yes. Yeah. That's a little legal jujitsu. Yeah, the bottom line is if you don't ask, you don't get it. Exactly. But you call the court out, you know, and say, hey, you know, listen, and call the other people out. Hey, listen, you know, they failed to comply with your order. That's sanctionable. And, you know, it's a denial of due process against me. And the court, you have to enforce your orders. Or is, or is you know, you don't want to get nasty. Or is our, you know, lawyers above the law? You know, would I have to comply and they don't have to comply? That's not fair. That's not fair. This is a sanctionable thing. And the sanction I'm looking for is granting of this motion that I've put in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then that would I, that would be based upon the fact that they did not comply with the exhibits provided. But I don't I'm, – I'm, I'm leery and letting him know – that he didn't comply so that, you know, because at the end of the day, back when we first had our first trial, he asked me, well, Maria, just let me know, you know, when we get close so you can tell me, you know, if you receive the exhibits and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, yeah, not a problem. I'm like, now if I forget it, man, I got too much on my mind to even worry about whether you gave it to me or not. That's your problem. (laughs) Well, he's a professional. He's a professional. They know what the rules are. And it's not like it's not like him playing fair with you. The court ordered him. You know, you don't, uh, that's a judge. The judge ordered him to do something. He's got to do it. And the problem in with you, it's between him and the judge, unless the judge is going to treat him, you know, 
special. Does the judge want to treat him special? No, that's not a good thing. And you've got to call him out on that. And, and so, yes, the court can go, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just reschedule the, the hearing and he can give that. Well, wait a second. Where's the sanction in that? Well, it's benefiting you because you get to stay in your house another month. Oh, really? So you're, you're an impartial judge saying that to me. You know, you have to look for these situations. Make sure you have a court reporter. You have to look for these situations. If the judge, if the judge mouths off with any attitude that way, it's a reason to get rid of the judge or call a mistrial or anything like that. And it goes with your, you know, denial of due process and going after them in an appeal. But if you can, if, if they just want to change the trial date, you still, where's the sanction? You need the sanction. You need to open up unlocked discovery or whatever it is. You know, they, they look at uh, courts generally, especially in the federal court, look at discovery is kind of Pandora's box. And to warrant discovery, they have to agree to give you the magical key to unlock it, to unlock discovery. Yeah. And that's what you're looking for. That's the sanction you're looking for. You want the magic key back. Yeah. Okay. And 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 I know you got the lady served, but you got the feedback, which is she gets served all the time and the lawyers handle it. So expect some pushback. Oh yeah, I am. I am expecting some pushback. Uh, that that's no question about it. Now this this particular sanction motion, do I? Do it when I go before the judge next week, or or how do I go about it? In order to, in order to, for a motion to be heard, you have to file it and serve it on okay. the other party, and then you have to call it up for a hearing. So you'd have to have it in in time for it to be ripe to be heard, unless it's an emergency motion. I don't think sanctions is necessarily emergency. Yeah, they aren't going to let you do that. But you've got enough time before your trial to get something like that in there. I mean, if it's a couple, if they provide this stuff, I mean, typically what happens is you put in that kind of motion and then boom, the stuff arrives. Even even where's the law firm you're dealing with? Yeah. Well, where's, let me, where's the law firm you're dealing with? Um, in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, Fallen, I mean... They can have a courier hand deliver it to you the same day. Yeah. And it's not that expensive, you know. It'll be like a hundred bucks. They just pass it on to their client. I'm just telling you that you gotta play all this really, really carefully and and like you found, you could you you throw a lot of stuff at the wall and some sticks and some doesn't, but that's why they call it a flurry of motions because, you know, you just throwing all this stuff up there that they have to deal with. You know, they'd try to say that, Oh, it's moot. We delivered it to, well, your honor, I didn't get it in time. They didn't provide it until I filed my motion. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That answer your question. Yes, thank you so much. All righty, you're welcome. Okay, we are going to move on to our next caller here, which is Mississippi. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Yeah, this is uh, JB and Marsha. We uh, uh, we did our first uh, federal lawsuit, and when we get a call from the opposing party, 
how do we go about no, uh, negotiating? I'm kind of dumb. Well, what makes you think you're going to get a call from them? Because uh, we filed a, a, a federal lawsuit okay, uh, against them, and I kind of figured they'll want to settle out of court. Well, you're making an assumption that may not be correct. Okay, well. Um, more than likely, you're not going to get a phone call from them. They're going to either file something like a 12B6 motion to dismiss, or they're going to file an answer. And then you as the plaintiffs are responsible for driving the case and would contact the other side to set up the dates for the 26F conference. So oh. it's probably not, it, you're probably not going to get a call from them. You might. But uh, if they were to call you up and say, oh, well, you know, you filed this lawsuit against us before we go to all the trouble of uh, responding to it, uh, you know, what would it take to settle this? Well, uh, what I would suggest you do now is get clear in your mind, what do you want to settle your lawsuit? What would you want in exchange for dropping your federal lawsuit? You need to have that figured out so that if you do get a communication from them like that, that you have an answer instead of, uh, 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 well, I don't know. You know, think ahead. Plan this stuff out. You guys need to discuss, okay, you know, what is it that you want? And it, like if he were to call you in, in 10 days and say, well, hey, we got your lawsuit and you know, we really don't want to have a have to deal with all this stuff. Um, what what would it take to uh, have you uh, drop your lawsuit? You want to be able to say, "Well, I want this, this, and this." That's what it's going to take. Okay. Now, JB, sir, you've been on these calls for a long time. Yes, sir. And I know you've been there. And I'm a little surprised at the question. Okay. Well, I was just trying to cover all the ground I could. Uh-huh. So, anyway. Well, think that stuff out. Like I say, sit down and think, okay, what would I be happy with where I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll uh, dismiss my suit. With prejudice, so I can't file it against you again. What do you want in return? So think that out and make sure that's clear in your mind so you're not hem-hawing and kind of, oh, well, well, gee, I I don't know. Um, you know, what would you be willing to do, to do to make it go? You don't want to do that. Right. Okay. You, you want to be able to see if you have the conversation. And you may, you may not. I'd say there's fair chance you're not going to, that they're just going to deal with it on a paperwork basis. But should they contact you, you want to be ready to answer that. So, you know, thinking ahead and having that clear in your mind when you have that conversation, you're ready to tell them, well, I want you to dismiss the other suit and uh, I want, you know, $2,000 for all my trouble and everything else, or, you know, whatever it is that you want. 
You know, right. you, you, you do that, and uh, you dismiss your state lawsuit with prejudice and uh, pay me $2,000, and I'll dismiss my suit with prejudice, and you go your way, and I'll go my way. Okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. All right. Let's go to South Central Florida. We got people from Florida tonight, all sorts of people. Hello, Hello. South Central Florida. Hello. 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 We can hear you. Oh, you went you went and muted yourself. Talk to me. All right. Um, listen, I was listening to Maria's conversation about how she had recorded the information from MERS. I am wondering if they will accept that because it's not authenticated. Um, does she need to have a court reporter type it up and authenticate it? She can swear to it. She okay. she can she can testify from firsthand knowledge that okay. uh, she uh, had that uh, made that call and that's what was said and she recorded it so she's a firsthand fact witness that can uh, support it. Thank you. Question answered. Bye. Okay. Alrighty. Thank you. Well, you know it's good for you to bring things up like that yeah. because that that helps get the information out and uh, people to to learn. And uh, believe me, I'm, I want to go back to uh, what I said earlier. There's people on here, especially new people. Don't be afraid to ask your questions. Please, my God, don't think, oh, I don't want them to think I'm really stupid and I don't know what I'm talking about. No. We all started out not knowing anything about any of this stuff. There had to be a starting point for every one of us. Mine was four and a half plus years ago. And, you know, Terry's was different, Jeff's was different, John's was different. But the point is, we all started somewhere and we learned. And if you think that our minds didn't get a little bit, oh, jeez, man, there's a lot of stuff. Well, you know, I I don't understand how all these pieces fit together here. Well, you know what, it's when you deal with it and you listen to it and you study it for a while, all of a sudden, things start coming together. So please, new people, don't be afraid to ask questions. We've all been in your situation. The only dumb question is everybody's heard the, probably 10,000 times in their lives is the one you don't ask, and that's very true. And the reason it's stupid is because you don't get an answer to a question that you have, something that you need some information on. So please do that. You know, all you have to do is raise your hand, hitting star eight on the keypad on your phone. That'll put you in the queue, and we're more than happy to try and answer your question. If we don't know what the answer is, we'll tell you we don't know, and we'll try and point you in a direction of where you can find the information that you need. So with that said, we're going to go to North Central Texas. Good evening. Hey, guys. Dave, it's Andrew. How's Andrew doing? Hey, how's it Are your ears uh, burning? I was talking about you earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard you. Um, yeah. the call. So uh, I wanted to talk about it a little bit, if I could. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I uh, called buddy, my buddy up and uh, kind of talked about it because I was just like, oh, like, yeah. Uh, like, wow. I, I well, guess why, don't you, why don't you give 
why don't you tell everybody just very briefly what what the scenario is here, so people can understand the context of what you're saying. Okay, so I uh, I filed an FDCPA claim against uh, Resurgent and LVNV, uh, and so they filed their answer today, and along with that answer, the LVNV, who uh, I guess is claiming is the owner of the debt uh, and not Resurgent, filed a, a counterclaim against me. Uh, and they simply alleged uh, a breach of contract, and they asked for attorney's fees. And uh, they did this pursuant to rule, Federal Rule 97. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's the situation, really. And but and they don't cite. And there's no citation as to the jurisdiction, or uh, they 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 don't. There's it's there was nothing there. So right, it was very bogus. I I got a copy of it. I saw it. Yeah. So it's uh, about as bogus initial, as a three dollar bill. Yeah. So, and I was kind of surprised. I guess because I've dealt with that attorney before, and uh, I guess I was surprised to get that kind of response back from him. But um, nonetheless, uh, I guess my initial thought was, do I do a motion to strike or do I do a motion to dismiss? Um, I guess kind of you know we did some quick Google searching and, and found some cases really quick and, and the attorneys have, have been filing motion to dismisses they don't even answer uh, the the counterclaim uh, I guess that's the appropriate uh, um, yeah against it. can I ask you a question uh, yes sir which is hurt first the claim or the counterclaim. I guess I don't understand the question. I, what's going to be? I get. I'm, I'm assuming. Well, well, okay. File, you 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 file a case. They file a counterclaim. What is the court going to hear or entertain first? The your original claim or the counterclaim that they put in? Which one comes first? I, I want to say my claim comes first. Mm-hmm. The counterclaim counterclaim has to be resolved before your claim can go forward. Right. But here's the problem that you run into. If you're the defendant and you file a counterclaim and the court's going to figure you do not know this and they're going to hear the claim first and then out of that make your counterclaim moot. Yeah, well, the the whole thing is what... Uh, what Andrew has going here is, you know, like you were saying, Andrew, you're trying to figure out whether to do a motion to strike or a uh, 12B6 motion to dismiss. Okay. Um, When I had this emailed to me, and, uh, you know, we have another member that uh, is uh, a friend of yours, a mutual friend that uh, sent the stuff to me today. My first reaction was, what? The federal court doesn't have jurisdiction to to hear the claim because the claim, even though they state it was brought under FRCP, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 97, there is no 97. So what's the logical first thing I did is I went and looked up the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure, and sure enough, Rule 97 has got to do with counterclaims. So the lawyer's got his head up his behind, and he's trying to pull a quick one, or, or he's trying to pull a quick one. And 
the the bottom line is the court doesn't have jurisdiction to hear it because uh, there isn't any other state law claim that uh, they they can piggy or a federal claim that they can piggyback on or well in federal court you got to have a state law claim to bring a state law uh, counterclaim if you even wanted to have a chance and right. the bottom line is like you said you found some case law and I'll let you explain what does a case law show well from from just quickly reading it uh, during my lunch break I uh, what I gathered was um, there's no common nucleus of operative fact, I guess, is the proper terminology. Even though it's the same debt, uh, you you cannot. How do I explain it? I'm bringing well, it's the same old thing. It's about their it's about their actions of attempting to collect a debt. It's not about the debt. The debt, exactly. So yeah, that's that's better. That's what I was trying to say. And so, you know, and, and the, the, the courts have basically ruled that it, you can't counterclaim on an FDCPA uh, allegation because by doing that, then nobody would want nobody would want to file an FDCPA claim. It would deter people from filing lawsuits, and then, you know, the first thing all the collectors would do then is start. What would what would they counterclaim with? Breach of contract. There's, no, there's nothing there to counterclaim on an FDCPA. Well, that's just well, it. But what they did here is they tried to come back and uh, say uh, that you owe the debt. Right. That didn't and count. Sue for the debt. Right. They're suing for their bad behavior. Exactly. Exactly. So and, that, and that's why there is no nucleus, uh, common nucleus of operative facts, like you pointed out. Right. So that's what the courts are saying. And so I guess it's, you got to. I guess you got to be careful on how I argue it. Um. So motion to dismiss. Uh, for lack of subject matter jurisdiction is is, is the way uh, I think would the best way to go then. Right, the court lacks jurisdiction. Those two cases, and uh, I looked at both of those and I read them, and uh, they're very good. They've got a good explanation, and I think you can take your arguments straight out of those. And uh, I and and the fact that they're Fifth Circuit is that much better. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what I was doing. I was looking. I was pulling the documents off of Pacer. Um, yeah. So I, I was thinking of, of my strategy, and uh, so I was wondering because this is resurgent in in, in LVNV and, and they're debt buyers. Um. Can I can I use the, the notice uh, or motion to take judicial notice of the uh, the CFPB uh, consent orders, even though it's not related to uh, but in the same industry, just uh, notifying the court, say, hey, this company, even though it's not the same uh, as the consent orders with the CFPB, they're, they're in the same industry and uh, operating rather Well, I'll let, I'll let Terry address that because she's the one that's done a lot of the work on judicial notice and has been working with Craig on that. Terry, you uh, want to comment on that? Yeah, what's the question? I'm sorry, I'm maxi-tasking. Well, um, I, I was thinking of well, my strategy against resurgent in LVNV was what I was thinking about is uh, filing a motion to take judicial notice uh, and then filing my motion to dismiss so that the court notices uh, that these are debt buyers. And, and I was wondering if, can I use them? Uh, uh, first of notice? all, the issue is not that they're dash debt buyers. Uh, okay. Right, right, right. The issue is. 
are they a debt buyer that has violated the FCRA in an identical or almost identically similar way? Yeah. His is FDCPA. I, I, well, I'll okay. mention both, SCRA and FDCPA. Okay. Yeah. okay, it doesn't matter. Um, in, in the uh, Encore consent order, they violated both FDCPA and the FCRA. And so what you have to identify before you ask the court to take judicial notice of one of those consent orders, or any other consent order for that matter, is identify the behavior that was uh, deemed by the CFPB to be unlawful under that statute. So, for instance, if it's the FDCPA, <coughs> excuse me, and they were attempting, by putting stuff in your credit report, attempting to collect on a debt that they had not verified, you disputed it, it's not verified, they have not been able to obtain account-level documentation, this is just for instance, that would be, and has been, identified by the CFPB as, a, as unlawful, a violation of the FDCPA. So once you look at what did LVNV or Resurgent, whoever it is that you're suing, what did they do exactly, then compare that with the violations that are identified by the CFPB in the consent order. And when you motion the court for judicial notice of the consent order, you want to point out to the court in your motion that you are asking the court to grant judicial notice and agency deference to the CFPB in its consent order against, well, let's just say Encore Capital Group, um, with special attention to page whatever, section whatever, paragraph whatever, in that these behaviors are similar or identical to the behaviors identified, alleged in this instant action by LVNV or resurgent. Do you follow me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. okay. Now, whenever you do... <clears throat> A motion for judicial notice on a governmental uh, consent order, uh, a white paper or, or publication put out by the CFPB or the FCC, FTC, whenever you're doing that, of course, you have to attach a copy, an official copy of that consent order or whatever it may be to the motion to your, for notice, you also need to attach an affidavit or declaration, whichever, make sure you have it notarized and sworn to properly, 
as to, and all, all it needs to contain is you are certifying that you obtained the copy of that consent order from the CFPB's website. And you will put the link in there exactly where you got it so that you are certifying to the court that it is an official copy, you know, uh, of that consent order. In other words, you didn't just get it from somebody who got it from somebody else and it could have been changed and not necessarily, <coughs> excuse me, a bona fide copy of that document. And generally, when it's a governmental agency like the FCC, CFPB, FTC, you can find those consent orders on their website. You should also remember to download the stipulation that the parties signed and agreed to after the consent order was issued. You need the stipulation because that's where Encore or Portfolio, whoever it is, signs in there what they are stipulating to. And in the case of Encore, that's quite important because they always say we admit no guilt. We don't admit to anything. However, they accept the CFPB's finding and waive all rights to argue those issues which the CFPB have identified as unlawful. So you want to attach that to the stipulation. You want notice, judicial notice on the consent order itself and the stipulation. Because when you identify identical behaviors within that consent order that LVNV has done, you can say to the court, look, the CFPB just issued this consent order against Encore for identical behavior. Encore signed a stipulation and agreed that they would not fight or argue it in the future. And so it, it's a done deal. You know, in other words, the CFPB has spoken, and that's the end of it. Yeah, but yeah. you've got to ask for judicial notice and agency deference. Yeah. Now, Andrew, you don't want to do this in conjunction with trying to get rid of the counterclaim because the counterclaim is not an issue that was addressed at all in those consent orders. You can do right, that right. regarding the rest of your case. Yeah. What, what I was thinking was if uh, if I say I, I I file a motion to take judicial notice, and I can get the court to grant it. So then now they're aware of the actions, then I also come back and do a motion uh, to dismiss uh, the counterclaim. No. Kinda, it's kinda, no. Uh, I feel like it's kind of setting the stage. No, no, uh-uh. You're, because you're not going to do a file a motion for judicial notice. The court isn't going to rule on that. Okay. That's just okay. something that they do. You just file it, and it goes in, and then the court will recognize it. It's not going to be something like you wait and you get an order, you know, where they are, are you know, saying they're taking judicial notice. But like I said, what Terry is talking about there, well, hang on a second. Well, there is, it, it, it depends on 
on when it's filed and what it's filed with, because as you notice, that case that we're going to be talking about where the guy put in for judicial notice of the FTC um, ruling, and he also asked for something improper in judicial notice, the court did rule on that motion for judicial notice and granted it on the FTC ruling and not on the other, and rightly so. But that's because he put it in with a motion for summary judgment. Yeah, a dispositive motion. It wasn't It wasn't uh, ruled on outside of that. It was all ruled on at the same time. Right. But here, but here again, Andrew, what, I, what I'm trying to get uh, you to understand here is you're not you don't want to do that in relation to the counterclaim because the counterclaim stuff is is that's not anything to do with the uh, consent orders that you got all the ammunition you need for the counterclaim in those two cases that you got you can cite those those are fifth circuit and that's going to put an end to them there what they did is improper and you can show that you don't, but the, the judicial notice you can use for the other stuff that's in your uh, lawsuit Right, yeah, I didn't want to do it in conjunction, but just yeah. my thinking was just setting the stage. Like, if I put that, it's just taking a shot across the bow. It's it's taking a shot back at them. I'm not that, I understand, I guess, what I was trying to say is I know it has nothing to do with the counterclaim, but okay. All right. taking, getting the court to notice that and then having that in their head already and then, then coming again with, with, uh, I just thought like it was a counterpunch. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, I, uh, be be careful with that kind of stuff because, you know, the the kiss principle works real well. Address address the counterclaim issue head on is okay. the way but I think I would do it. And then yeah, there is such a thing as trying too hard to win to the point where you fail. Yeah, and and the, the sure reason you... I say that, yeah, is you know Terry and Jeff. You guys haven't seen the cases that they've got to argue it, and, and they're absolutely top-notch. They're, they found uh, uh, two things real quick, and they're both Fifth Circuit where he is and everything. So it's it, you got that right in your pocket. You can knock them out real quick with that. They don't have a leg to stand on what they did. They're wrong. Right. Besides that, they pled it wrong. FRCP 97? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And make sure right. you don't tomorrow night's part three because you know there's going to be more information on all that and how to deal with it so so don't miss the webinar all right good deal guys all right well that's that's what i needed i appreciate your help guys okay sure uh, and that's that's a good deal that's uh, that's uh, a stupid lawyer moment <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. And beyond stupid yeah well yeah because when i first saw it i went to, to look it up because i didn't know what it was and i was like there's, there's no, it doesn't my, my, my rule book doesn't go far enough. <laughs> I know when Dave. <laughs> <There is> no, <laughs> <laughs> I said that and said, Terry's going. Wait a minute, and they don't go that high. <laughs> Dave said 97, and I'm sitting here. I was muted, and I'm like, what? In whose book? And <laughs> I'm like, well, and, and see, yeah. that's that's the thing. The first thing I did when I read that email, uh, and and see everybody at Sunday's calls. This is the kind of stuff that goes on in the background. We have this kind of stuff flying around quite a bit. 
And uh, uh, the first thing I did is uh, I I looked up the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure, 97, and sure enough, it was about counterclaims. So I thought, oh, boy, this lawyer's got his head up his butt so far he can't see daylight. So, uh, you know, there's the thing. That the federal court doesn't have jurisdiction. And uh, he came back with those two cases, and I looked at those, and I was like, geez, there's your answer right there, man. You you, uh, you got a chokehold on them with that. They're, they're going bye-bye on that counterclaim, no question. So, anyway... Good, good, uh, good job looking up that stuff. That uh, that came up pretty quick, and you found a couple of real gems there to use. Excuse me. Thanks. Uh, can I ask a question about judicial cognizance as compared to judicial notice? Since you mentioned what? it on that question, I thought I thought it may be a good time to ask it. Uh, is there a difference between judicial cognizance? I I'm not familiar with the term judicial cognizance. Me oh. not. Me neither. I've never oh. heard it. Okay. All right. Just checking. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. That's kind of calling into question the the brain power of the judge. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that what it what it is is like they, you're just asking them to take notice, uh, or not co- or cognizance of a fact that that you know reasonably would be known you know to to every party there basically. No. Right. No. It, that, that's not going to apply before the federal court. It, it, no, you should just call it judicial notice of whatever it is, whatever document it is you want them to take judicial notice of, and and because that's a proper way to do it. Yeah, use a, the correct terminology it, rather than trying to, you know, use yeah, other words with, for it. Well, okay. well, that's exactly why I asked you, because I wanted to right. get some clarification. Yeah, use the proper terminology because uh, judicial notice is the proper terminology uh, in the federal courts. The right. ju- judicial cognizance is the term given to information that a judge must act on regardless of the fact that it is not proved in evidence. Okay. So that yeah, would yeah. be like something according to the rules. Right. Or, like a law... Or something that's in written in the documentation already for the judge, you know, right? The allegations that are in your complaint, even though they're not proved in evidence. There you go. The opposition could rebut what you've put in your complaint as fact. They could rebut that and they could prove up against it with evidence. They can't put the evidence up with a motion to dismiss. That would have to be converted to a motion for summary judgment. Yep, isn't it amazing how we learned all this stuff, John? Terry, <laughs> Jeff, it's like I, you know, I listen to these conversations and I sit here and think, how did we learn all this? How did we learn all this? Because the school of hard knocks. Uh, yeah, well, it's the school of hard knocks. I'll, I'll, you know, our our own experience and everything. But I'm I'm just amazed. You know, we get into all these kind of things and and we've got people that have got answers for it. So, you know, if we if we can learn it, you guys can too. That's all I can say. But anyway, let's uh, go ahead on to our next caller here. We're going to go to the North Shore of Massachusetts. You can are you unmuted. Me? No, we can can't you? hear you. Can you speak up a little okay. bit? Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this is again, uh, Ilya from Massachusetts. I, uh, so how is everybody? I'm listening, and I realize that everybody is well. We we all had enough to eat for Thanksgiving. Well, we did, yeah. 
Um, let, <laughs> let me remind my situation. So Cambisi sued me for a debt that I had with Citibank that Cashless You allegedly bought. had with Citibank. Yeah, let's, yeah, allegedly. It's all alleged. And uh, now I'm getting ready the day after tomorrow to go to Boston and file my lawsuit uh, on the federal court. So this is, the, in this stage, by, you know, reading, studying, writing, I have a um, few questions that are pretty simple. The first one, which looks a little fantastic, is Citibank has uh, removed the trade line from my uh, TransUnion and Experian uh, after I disputed with, CD, with the CRAs in November of last year. And in December, I did not really get an answer from, uh, I checked all my uh, you know, credit reports. So it doesn't say the Citibank removed it, but when I check the credit uh, report, Citi is gone. So how do I use this in my advantage? So they are collecting in an account that even Citi removed it. Can well, I use I, this? I don't know if that really plays uh, plays into it with them being the original creditor. Are, is uh, Cambisi, are, are they suing, they're suing in somebody else's name, isn't it Cash or somebody? Yeah, Cash LLC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So Cash removed the page, trade line last year. Citi removed it. Well, no, wait a minute. Is, wait yes. a minute. Wait a minute. Whose trade line was it? Was it was it Citibank or did Cash have it in there? No, Citibank was the uh, last original, and they sold it to uh, no, Cash no, 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 no. I, I, we understand that. What I'm asking you mm-hmm. is, was it the, the the trade line in there from Citibank or was the trade line for Cash, indicating mm-hmm. that Citibank was the original creditor? Uh, what was the information in the report itself? Uh, I can't recall exactly now, but uh, it doesn't say that was from when Cash reported it. So Citi reported it well, and it well, sold to Cash. Yeah, wait, no, then, no, 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 no. You're you're not answering my question. And if you don't if you don't remember what's in the report, you better go find the report so you know exactly what's going on. Because I'm asking you a question and and you're telling me you you don't know. That's not good well, <laughs> if you're getting ready I, to file a lawsuit. Well, hang on, uh, Dave. So Cash LLC reported a new account and did not even mention Citi in that account when they uh, traded, uh, reported a trade line. Okay, so, so Cash re- put a trade line on your, in your credit file? Yes. Okay. I disputed with both of them. Uh, both of these accounts with the CRAs, and they were removed a month later. Now, you say both of the accounts. They put two different accounts on there? Well, Cash LLC had a different account, and Citibank has a different account, of course. Well, well okay. Now, you're, you're, the way you're talking here, you're getting a little confusing. Yeah, he's, he's, Citibank he's, had it in there, and then Cash put it in there, too. Yeah. But Is that what you're saying? Yeah, cash reported a different account, not the same account as Citi. number. Account number, yes, yeah. Okay. Sorry. The same, yeah, the same account, but account number is different. Okay. So, 
Can I use uh, the CVS removal trade line as advantage on this, uh, my preparation for federal court? Federal, federal court? Yeah, I, I don't see, no. The way no. you've explained it, Lear? Yeah? No. No. Okay. Let's go to the next question. They have um, to keep reporting it uh, after that 30-day period uh, for removal. Then you have a case, but not until then. But No, uh, the meaning of what I was uh, thinking is uh, if CD is not reporting, has no account in my credit report. Cash they has did. No, they did. They did. But they was did, and you wrong. disputed it, and they took and it yeah. out. That's the end of yeah. it. Yeah, but why Cambis is uh, uh, now suing me for an account that even Citi removed it? No, no, it, it's it, it, they're dealing with cash. They're dealing with what cash is doing because they're representing cash, right? Okay, so this is a no. Yeah, now, so yeah, leave so, leave the Citibank out of it as a second, as the uh, individual company. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the civil. Civil cover sheet. When I go to the district court, do I have to uh, prepare it ahead of time, or I can yeah. file it right there? No, go ahead and prepare it ahead of time. You can and download a PDF file from your district court. Uh, that when you open it up, it'll allow you to fill in the blanks. Yep. And okay. I suggest you go back to the summer bash, and uh, on the that summer section, slam, summer slam rather. Yep. And go through that section. Yeah, we covered okay. that in the SummerSlam webinar series. Yep. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, you're question. you're gonna you're gonna put in uh, I think it's what uh, 480 uh, consumer credit. It's going to be a federal question, and you gotta you gotta read carefully up when you put the names in because it's you know last name first, uh, first name after that. Be be careful that you read closely. Okay. The other question is pretty easy. I hope it's a yes. Uh, you know how the Dunning letter says if you, if you don't dispute in 30 days, this uh, debt will be assumed that is uh, valid? That right. is a FDCPA violations, a violation according to the uh, fair, fair, what is that? Uh, FTC. Can I use this even though it doesn't look clear on what? the uh, what do you mean? FDCPA? I, if if they they didn't have that on the Dunning letter, they do. They do. Well, yes. that's what they're supposed to have on there. But F, uh, FTC says that uh, that note is a violation of the FDCPA. Now you need to go back and reread whatever article you read because you didn't yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, that's completely incorrect. I don't know where you got that idea. Is they're required correct? to here they're required to put that in there. It's a violation if they don't. Not no, if they do. They, they say you have if it, you don't answer in thirty days, then they assume that the that is valid. That's, That's right. valid. That's yeah. valid. That's absolutely correct language. Yes. Is it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's a no no. You need to go back and reread re yeah. whatever article you read because you missed something. No, you know I, what? It might be getting confused. Courts have ruled that a consumer's failure to respond to a letter like that cannot be considered by the court as an admission of the debt. Right. Yeah, that's true, oh. too. 
Yeah, but that's them putting that language in there. They're required to put that that stuff in there. It's not a violation to put it in there. I've, somehow, I think maybe you got that turned around backwards. Probably. I'm kind of rushing. I uh, I'm seeing money down there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> be careful. Yeah, right. you don't, rush don't make you. any. Don't make any false allegations. But that's why you're here asking the questions, and and that's that's yeah, great yeah. because you're that's how you keep from sticking your foot in it. <laughs> we don't want yeah, you yeah, to stick I'm your not, foot in it. I'm, yeah, I'm not changing anything without being sure that uh, uh, yeah. it's uh, it's right. Now, here's one more question I have. Uh, when I do my interrogatories, in in the end, I'm gonna put the jurat for uh, for the other side. Um, you know, in, you mean you're in, talking about answering? Yeah, their, no, I their... did answer. Yeah, I did answer. I'm gonna uh, notarize it, and in my town, in my state, you have to record that with a court, uh, state court, and uh, answers. And when I send my interrogatories, I have to my discoveries. I have to put them in court first, and then um, mail them. Okay. But. When I do my interrogatories, I was a little confused with John's lesson. It says that you have to put a jurat for them, but then there's two, uh, two, uh, uh, what is a proof of delivery, or what is that called? Certification of uh, service. Do I, uh, do I put only one for them, or one just for me that I delivered? You don't need a jurat. You don't need a jurat for certification. For, for certified you that you have served them. Yeah, let let John I'm answer sorry. that for him. The the jurat on response to interrogatories is where they swear to the answers that they've given. They've identified an individual that's answered on behalf of the defendant. If you ask the questions properly, they have shown how they are authorized to answer on behalf of the defendant, and they've answered under penalty of perjury that the answers are true and correct. That's the purpose of the jurat. The, what you're talking about with the certificate of service, you want yeah. to put the certificate of service that you have served the interrogatories on the other party. They don't have to give a certificate of service back to you. They just have to mail them back. If when when a party is is a defendant or a plaintiff and you're answering discovery in federal court discovery is not filed in unless you're going to use it as admissible evidence or if you're going to uh, contest their answers or go for a motion to compel or something so what you find many times law firms do is the day they mail you the answers to the discovery they file in a notice to the court that they notice of file they put in a notice of filing answering the discovery so that they they create a benchmark in the record saying on this date we answered the discovery okay does that answer your question yes it does okay you're welcome made it clear thank you john uh the last one that i have uh you know how the account stated as a as a oxymoron thing was never used in their uh complaint uh, can I can I use this in my uh, uh, questions uh, discovery? 
You can, but before you do that, what you want to do is look at your state rules very carefully because the state rules are going to show what a plaintiff has to plead in order to uh, make a claim. In other words, the elements of a claim for account stated or you know whatever 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 they're going after breach of contract account stated is where there is no written contract so your state should have some type of rule that lays out what the claims are and what the elements are and perhaps your state doesn't have which I'd find hard to believe they don't have account stated but even though they don't say that they might have pled the elements of account stated without saying it uh, I think I'm uh, yes that answers I think they are um, alleging the breach of contract well, if they're alleging breach of contract, they need to provide a copy of the contract with the complaint or else you can move to dismiss for uh, subject matter jurisdiction or a whole bunch of different things. I've got, I've got webinars on that that show you how to, to move early on for, for dismissal because if they don't give, you know, if they go, what typically happens is they file the um, blank, in blank, terms and conditions that are on the back of every credit card statement they mail out. But those aren't the terms and conditions that you agreed to when you applied for the account. The only terms and conditions that you agreed to are the ones that you put your signature on when you applied for the account. If you did it online and they accepted it, they did it at their own peril because there's no signature online and try to prove up an online signature today. Even with all the Digital Millennium Act and all this other stuff, it's hard to prove. They're not going to have the original agreement. And in that original agreement, it's going to talk about modifications. You know, normally when they mail you something, you know, you'll get a credit card statement in the mail that has a little insert or a separate piece of paper that you will receive and it says, you know, Capital One is letting you know we're modifying the terms and conditions and they've got all this small print. And in there someplace it's going to say you have 30, 60 days, whatever it is, to object to these changes in writing to kind of opt out from them. But in order for any of that to be valid, you have to have the original agreement. What did the original agreement say? What did it what it what did you agree to as far as modifications and how does that play out in the future? Did you ever object to any modifications? Did you ever agree to it? Well if they give you this blank terms and conditions, it means nothing because it could apply to anyone, including the judge. It could apply to the judge, the court reporter, the judge's assistant, the, uh, the the attorney for the other party. You know, hey, it doesn't apply to you. It doesn't have your name on it. Doesn't have your signature on it. It's just a blank, generic document. And they could go around filing those against any of those people. So you move to dismiss it on that basis. Account stated you know, is easier because they've got really nothing to prove. They'd have to have the slips with your signature on there. They'd have to show checks that you paid against the account with the account number on there. They'd have to show the ledger from your first, from the opening balance of zero onward to calculating to the penny the amount they say that's owed. And they, you know, would have to show all that for them to say, hey, we gave him a card and he agreed to this, you know, by using the card. Well, yeah, prove it. 
<laughs> prove it. With with the breach of contract, they're saying they have a piece of paper that says you have a written agreement and that you have a remaining balance of this much. And you know they're trying to skate around having to show all the ledger and all the rest, but they have to do that anyways. But without that original contract, it's no really different than the account stated. So you can go to move to dismiss either of those. Now, uh, just for for the end of it. I, I was not sure uh, when they sent me the uh, the comp complaint, they did not send any contract or anything. Is it possible that they filed it, but they never sent it to me? There's, if, if, they, if they filed in evidence with their complaint, it becomes part of the complaint, and they have to provide it to you with the complaint. Right. That's, that's, that's basic. And, and this goes to, to a bigger subject that we touched on a little while ago. Uh, when you get a motion to dismiss, you, the motion to dismiss is ruled on based on the four corners of the complaint and any documents attached thereto. So that would be the copy of the contract. A motion for summary judgment is based on not only the stuff with the complaint that they've put in, but any evidence that the defendant has to prove otherwise to what the other party, to what the plaintiff is saying in their complaint. So summary judgment doesn't really matter as much, except you can move for summary judgment, but you can move the same way to get rid of it with a motion to dismiss. Summary judgment is going to be a final adjudication with a motion to dismiss. They may dismiss once, but they can come back at you again and say, aha, no, here, we have the contract now, which they won't. They'll just fabricate something else and come at you again. They probably won't do that, though, because on the second time, if they play BS games, then you can go after them for, for sanctions and stuff. Yeah, virtually just about any situation where uh, they uh, are making a claim of breach of contract, they have to... Uh, with a complaint, they have to provide a copy of the contract. All right, almost, thank you. almost all courts are going to require that because you can't just say there's a contract. Right. Well, yeah. the court's going to need to look at the contract to see what it says. The written contract's going to say it's going to it's going to tie in with jurisdiction. For the in order for the court to have jurisdiction, the contract's going to determine that. The, it might say that you know you have to go to non-binding mediation or non-binding arbitration before you can take it to a court. It may say that it's only settled in, you know, this quarter, that quarter. You know, it, it can say a lot of different things. If you know that guy that came in on the call earlier uh, with a situation from out of state, he was going to travel to Boston and file a suit. Is there anything that he could do to, to establish in personam jurisdiction on the person and so that way he could file in his district court? No, he was going to his district court. That's just where his district court was, is all he was talking about. Oh, okay. Uh, my um, bad. Yeah, yeah. district court is, um, yeah, for the for the heck of it, they call the district court the, the town court, my town court. And uh, so it's called district court of Ipswich. But the same time in Boston, it's called, again, district court, uh, U.S. district court. United States district court. Yeah. So it, yep. it sounds the same, but it's different. So yep. okay. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Yep. Thank you. Okay.
We've got another caller. We're going to go all the way over to the other side of the country, and we're going to go to Southern California. You have been muted. Unmuted, I should say. Hi. Okay. I just have a, um, I guess it would be a procedural question. Um, I'm trying to find out what's going to happen when I put in for a motion to transfer venue um, because I had filed my complaint and then they took other action um, where the property was located. So I need to amend my complaint and have it transferred over to that district court. And Dave, I got your information on that motion and everything, so that's fine. But I don't know, I guess, procedurally what happens because um, before I filed that, we're waiting on a ruling on the 12B6, which she vacated the hearing on, and it was already a month later that we were waiting, and then I filed the motion to transfer venue. So I'm just wondering what happens when you do that, you know, because I'm assuming the court that the 12B6 is in right now, um, if it's going to transfer, I'm assuming that means everything is kind of like starting over again because I put in that I, motion. You know, for yeah, I don't know whether they would uh, say that they had to rule on the motion to dismiss to resolve that before uh, a... Uh, Transfer or not? Well, it you was know. mentioned in the transfer venue that it also, because of the events that happened, you know, after the case was filed, that it that that it was going to need to be amended as well. So it was mentioned, amended, and to transfer the venue. So that's why I'm just curious if anybody has any ideas on procedurally. It, it, you know, it's called there. removal. Removal. No, it's not removal. This is from a federal court to a different federal court jurisdiction. You're, you're thinking from a state court to a federal. It's transfer. You are transfer. on pot. Oh, my God. I, I'm on pot. You are the one that's on point. Okay, good job, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just familiar with her situation. That's, <laughs> I know what's going on. Um, yeah, as far as that goes, I don't know. Um, I've never never had any experience and uh, I haven't really read much, uh, anything uh, on that so I I have nothing that I could tell you I I think you're just gonna have to wait and see what the court does the other um, part of it is that you know when you respond in a 12b6 you know your opposition to it right that some there's things in there that you you want to have stricken you know like a paragraph or a document or something like that so instead of putting in a whole separate motion to strike, you're putting it, you know, in your opposition kind of as one document. Uh -huh. So that's, that's my other concern is so then if this is transferred, you know, and we're kind of like starting all over again, then does that kind of mean that I'm kind of SOL with getting that stuff stricken from the record that shouldn't have never been in there because I didn't do a motion to strike and... You know what I mean, and it's being amended, so we're yeah. starting. I don't know. With. I I just don't know. Uh, you're going to have to see how how the court deals with it. I I okay. don't really know uh, what the exact court procedure is on that on on transfers, and then if you got the other stuff being considered. I I just I really I have no information on that. I couldn't begin to even make a guess. Yeah, so I yours is kind of an interesting situation, but. Uh, 
It's not yeah. common. Let's put it that way. Right, right. I was just curious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could, you know, give you more insight, but I, you know about as much as I do. In fact, you, you know more than I do because you know more about the facts of the case and what, you know, what the courts have said and, and what they've done. So I think you're just going to have to wait and see what happens and then respond accordingly if it's uh, something adverse to, uh, to, you know, what you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank so, you. All right. You're welcome. Yeah, we just never know. We get to, uh, a lot of different situations here with this stuff. All right, if anybody else has questions, all you got to do is hit star 8 on the keypad on your phone. That'll uh, get your hand up. We'd be more than happy to uh, entertain your questions. And again, new people, it, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a big question, a little question. Uh, we're here to try and answer questions for you, to help educate you, point you in a direction where you can get things. And one of the things I need to point to is how you get to Jesse's website. And, you know, listening to these calls is not a solution to learning the, the stuff that you need to learn. You need to go where the information is organized, and that's in Jesse's website. The way you get there is very simply open a browser, type in Knockout Collectors, that's K-N-O-C-K-O-U-T-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-O-R-S dot net. Don't do a search on it. Just type it in, knockoutcollectors.net. You'll get there to Jesse's site. You'll see where you can enter your name and email address. Do that. What you're doing there is an opt-in for spam purposes so that you can get the emails uh, from the website about what's going on and get some other information. When you submit that, you're going to get an email back. If you don't get one, go look in your spam folder because it's probably there. But uh, you are going to get an automated email back that will have a link in it for you to click on that's opting in for spam purposes and saying, yes, you can send me emails and I'm not going to sue you. And uh, you'll click on that link in that email you get back, and you'll get a second email. It'll have some information in it, and it'll also have another link that'll take you into the free part of the website where you can get an idea, uh, a sampling of the information that's in there, the way it's presented, uh, the uh, caliber of it, and to get access to the whole entire website with everything from foreclosure information to TCPA to FCRA to FDCPA to asset protection, how to make yourself uh, judgment-proof, how to make yourself garnishment-proof. There's all sorts of information in there. How to deal with the stuff in your credit reports. It's going to cost you a whopping $49 a month. It's $99 for the first month, and after that it's $49 a month. For as long as you want to be a member, there's no commitments that says, oh, you do this, you're stuck for six months or a year or something like that. Nothing there. But the best part of it is when you do that, it's risk-free because there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. You can go in there and study to your heart's content, do as much learning as you want to do, and if for whatever reason you decide, oh, this isn't for me, just follow the instructions that you're given. Within 60 days, you can say, eh, it's just not for me. I want my money back, and you get it. Jesse doesn't even know about it until after it's happened. It's all done by ClickBank. The bottom line is it's no risk for you. You can get in there and study, but that's what you have to do to be effective and learn what you need to learn to do what we do. 
You're not going to get enough information in an organized form from these calls because you don't get the processes. You don't get all the, the information. It's just like a, there, there's a tremendous library of stuff in there. There's Black's uh, Law Dictionary in there. All the different editions from uh, first edition all the way up to, I think, about the ninth or tenth edition. There's there's stuff in there, all the state laws uh, on debt collection, you know, statute of limitations, all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, there's a forum in there where there have been postings done for almost five years. There's almost 20,000 postings in that forum where there's questions that have been asked, answers that have been given, people like myself, Jeff, John, Jesse, Larry, Terry, Terry doesn't do much in there. She doesn't like forums. She's got this thing about forums. She hates them. But we've answered questions. Other members have answered questions. But my point is that it's a resource. It's another whole library of questions and answers that you can learn from and study from. There's uh, the pleading section of the forum. There's a success section of the forum. If you're wondering about, well, you know, how much success have these people had with what they've been learning here, get in there. No risk. Go to the success part of the forum and read some of the the postings and look at some of the check copies that are in there. It's real. It's And there's not one or two or three or four, and it's not just for moderators or Jesse. We've got people that have gotten multiple six figures, multiple six figures in settlements from what they've learned out of the website and from what we help people learn. You know, we can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. But the information is there. It's available. The The help is here on these calls, my call on Monday night. Uh, and actually, it's your call on Monday night, just the one that I do on Monday night. Um, Tuesday night, every other week right now, we have the open call. Tomorrow night, Terry's going to be finishing up her uh, webinar series. Actually, there's going to be one more. She's going to do complete Q&A on it in two weeks. But uh, tomorrow night, she's doing the, the third installment of a tremendous amount of information that she's putting out, very new stuff that it's, you're not going to find it anywhere. There's no other place on the web that has this information on how to deal with the credit reports and the debt collection industry effectively, effectively. She's done an, an, just a tremendous job of presenting all this stuff and all the research she's done. If you haven't gotten into the website and listened to the other webinars, do so, because there's two previous to the one that's going to be presented tomorrow night. And uh, it's it's information that if you want to stand up for your rights, you need to learn. You need to know about it so that you can deal with things the proper way. You can do things the right way or you can do things the wrong way. We champion the right way with information, with good quality, uh, correct information, not hype, not something that sounds good. Oh, yeah, well, you know, they, they can't do this and you can do this and you can do that. Well, there's a lot of administrative stuff flying around out there, and we seem to uh, be seeing a rash of it again lately. That stuff doesn't work. This does. This is based on what's on the, the books, what the courts recognize, and what the courts will back up so that when you go after somebody, you have the courts behind you instead of against you. You're using them the way they're supposed to be used.
So uh, the bottom line is there's lots of help out here if you want to learn. If you don't want to learn, that's up to you. Shame on you if you don't. But uh, the bottom line is get into the website, learn. There's no risk to you. 60 days to use it. If you don't like it, doesn't matter why. Just say, hey, it's not for me. Give me my money back, and uh, Jesse's fine with that. It's not about making money. The other thing is if you're in real tight situations, which we know a lot of people are, you can share memberships because there are two IP addresses for each membership in the website. So uh, Terry helps coordinate that. If uh, you are looking to uh, find somebody to share a membership with, whether you know you you can pay for it and somebody else you know pay you their half of it or the other way around doesn't matter. You can send an email to Terry at queensongbird at gmail dot com and just say I'd like to uh, uh, find someone to share a membership in the website. That's all you got to do, and she can see about putting you guys together. Uh, she uh, handles that, which is great. But it's it's just another way that uh, you can get the information very inexpensively and have access to it. You know, websites aren't free. That's why the, the uh, uh, website isn't free for access. There's a full-time webmaster and uh, a lot of things that go into that. The, the webinar system isn't free. you got to pay every month to use all that. So there's a lot of help out here, but it's only going to do you some good if you take and put your effort into utilizing it. So one more time, I'm going to ask and see if anybody has any questions or comments that they want to bring up tonight. If not, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this thing up for the last day of November. And uh, uh, I don't Mr. Donaldson anything. again. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just to, the, uh, the last caller said, said something about change of venue. I went ahead and looked up and did a word search in, in the FRCP for uh, transfer, and I, and I found 28 U.S.C., a reference to 28 U.S.C. 1404, change of venue. So I don't know if that helps or not. But oh. Well, she's, uh, she's so very she, familiar with what she's doing. It's just she's mad, she's trying to figure out what's going to be the, the sequence of events on with the other stuff, a motion to dismiss and stuff involved. And that's, that's uh, okay, what so, she was concerned with. She, she's familiar with the transfer. She's one of your, like, uh, uh, oh, she's a long she's, she's a multi-year listener and learner. You bet. Oh, excellent. Well, great. Thanks a lot for the call. All right. Thank you. Okay. Well, I don't see anybody else popping up a hand here, so I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, Terry, Dave. Jeff, John. Yes, Terry. Yeah. Uh, Chris just sent me a copy of the uh, Federal Rules of Evidence Review for 2015 with updated rules, I'm, and I'm sending that you and Jeff and John and Craig via email. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. But uh, anyway, uh, tomorrow night, Terry's doing her third installment on her presentation, and I'll tell you what, you don't want to miss it. If you've uh, heard the, the first two, you know how valuable it is, and this one's going to be chock full of stuff. You absolutely don't want to miss it. And then two weeks from tomorrow, I believe you're going to be doing open Q&A on all that. Is that correct, Terry? Yes, it is. And I'm sure, if you know, before that one comes up, everybody should go back through and go through one, two, and three again and write down all your questions so that you don't miss the opportunity to get them answered. Yeah. 
That's that's the whole idea. So uh, anyway, thanks uh, to all the moderators again, Je Jeff, Terry, John, and uh, I hope all of you will join us tomorrow night. I'll be there, and I'm going to be learning right along with everybody else. So uh, I hope everybody has a great evening tonight. Take care, and we'll talk at you again soon. If nothing else, on Terry's call at Wednesday night, on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. If you're not on her email list, send an email to queensongbird and, at gmail.com and simply say, please put me on the list, please. But do it now. If you wait till Wednesday, you won't get the reminder in time. So talk to you tomorrow night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.